Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Are you troubled by stale podcasts in the middle of the night? Do you love films that feature the busting of spooks, specters, or ghosts? If the answer is yes, then don't wait another minute. Ghostbusters Resurrection is an RPG audio drama combining tabletop gaming and cinematic paranormal elimination adventures. Call the professionals at nerdyshow.com slash ghostbusters. We are ready to believe you. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by a comic shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geek programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Welcome to Nerdy Show, a weekly podcast dedicated to every facet of nerddom. We talk about the full gamut of the latest happenings in the nerd world, dive into super specific discussions, and on occasion, do some interviews. This is one such occasion. I'm Cap, and in this episode, I'm going to be talking with Chris Littler and Ellen Winter of Chamber Band. Chamber Band are responsible for some of my favorite records from the past several years. Records that have actually all made it into our annual Top 20 Nerdy Things of the Year lists. Because these folks make wonderfully composed, heart-rending, sometimes even bloodthirsty tunes that anybody can get into at face value. But if you're looking for a nerd dive and want to dig deeper, each record is uniquely themed to a specific world. Their first record, Deities, is the finest Dungeons & Dragons rock album I've ever heard. And their follow-up record, Careers, was set in the world of Hunger Games and actually made me care, even though I've never bothered to read those books or see those films. And I'm not sure I want to, but I do know that I love that record and I love their interpretation of that world. We'll have links on this episode's page to where you can dial back to interviews we've done with the band, spiraling out of both of those early records. But now, now it's time for the decisive album number three. It's called Governor's Square. It comes out September 18th, and it's inspired by H.G. Wells, specifically The Time Machine and The Invisible Man. So we're going to be talking with Chris and Ellen, the voices and principal songwriters behind Chamber Band, and learn about the inner clockwork workings of this new record, as well as debut a new song in advance of the album's release. But that's not all. Chris and Ellen have been hella busy. If you keep an eye on the pulse of the podcasting sphere, you might have seen a little show called 36 Questions pop up the past couple months. It's a three-part podcast musical, as in it's a podcast audio drama narrative that is also a musical with spoken narrative, sung narrative, inner monologues, all intermingling into one cinematic musical experience that, as far as I'm aware, no one has ever made before. It's truly a unique thing. It's a story of a couple in the midst of a catastrophic crisis where one of them has been lying about her identity for the entire time. It's the first in a series of new side projects from Two Up Productions, the folks who made the popular audio drama Limetown. 
Chris and Ellen wrote it, and this little experiment in podcasting has really blown up. So I'm very excited to see how they put together that crazy project, in addition to learning more about the inner workings of Governor's Square, the H.G. Wells chamber band record. But first, let's put you in the mood. This is the first track off of Governor's Square. It's called Wind the Clock. Welcome back. That was Wind the Clock, the first track off of Chamber Band's Governor's Square, and I am thrilled to be speaking with Chris Littler. Hi there. And Ellen Winter. Hello. Guys, it's so great to be talking with you. I haven't seen you, I haven't spoken with you with words from my mouth in two years. (laughs) I know, it's been too long. So long, it's been way too long. You guys have been pretty damn busy since then, so what's been going on since you put out Careers? Oh, man. So what Careers came out in... 2015 uh-huh. so <laughs> well, this this is true time travel right here i guess the kind of broad strokes are that we wrote a new album and we wrote a podcast musical 36 questions you know that's like over 20 songs so that's a good couple of years that's like 
over 10 songs a year, right? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. A, it's a lot of work. <laughs> hard at work, hard at play. And that musical podcast has, well, it's really landed, hasn't it? Yes, it has landed. It has, it has reached a fantastic audience, and we've met a lot of incredible people who have said lovely things about it, which I guess is like, that's what you want when you, <laughs> when you make something like weird and, and new. Like, yeah, yeah. It's been like really amazing to just talk to people who have listened to it or who have been like, you know, inspired by it to like do stuff on their own and like just talking to other musical writers about the medium and it was a lot of work, but it was also like really fun for us to do too because we really truly didn't know how we could do it. So it was it was very much you know, steering the ship, like not really sure where the island was, but like feeling like we could hit land eventually. <laughs> it was a lot like fusing our storytelling brains with our album making brains. We were kind of working on it while we were working on, well, we kind of took it like a break from it while we were working on Governor Square. It was kind of a nice brain exercise to have both of those in our music wheelhouse happening. Because it's, yeah, it's kind of like switch gears for those things. I feel like you can tell. You can tell that there's something decidedly different about Governor Square. I mean, there's a lot of things different about Governor Square. But if you've also listened to 36 Questions, there's a certain amount of narrative component that is sort of shared between the two of them. Mm. Or the, the way that they express themselves. Yeah, I mean, I think that the music is very intimate in both of them. Yes, uh, For yeah. Governor Square, we really wanted to explore a new sound with us, you know, with ourselves and, like, explore like a new way of writing and orchestrating songs and like we love playing like loud energetic shows and writing loud energetic songs and we're loud energetic people but you know given the the topic of governor square it's like so much inspired by family and relationships kind of in this like melancholic era that i think really lends itself to that kind of acoustic folk intimate vocal vibe well, I guess let's not jump into that too much because we're going to certainly get into it. But as far as 36 questions, so how exactly did that project come about? Because it is a very strange thing. It is strange. The idea came from Skip Bronke and Zach Akers, who people know as Two Up Productions, and they created the Limetown podcast, which was a, like a smash hit a couple of years ago. And they wanted to kind of push the boundaries of what podcasting is. And they had an idea about a husband and wife who are, uh, their marriage is on the rocks. And they use the 36 questions to try to save that marriage. Skip is a big fan of musicals. And he was like, I want to make a musical. I don't know how to make a musical, but you guys are chamber band. So like, clearly you know how to make story music. So like, can we make this? And uh, we were like, yeah, yeah, we'll figure that out. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. How's it work? Let's do it. That was uh, about a year and a half of uh, of figuring it out. Then we figured out how to how to do a, a musical podcast. Yeah, that's a pretty cavalier attitude. <laughs> <laughs> when you work that hard on something, you know, you're it's like you're tinkering on a machine, mm. and you're like, well, I don't know, what this is gonna look like I'm gonna hit this button, and gee, right. I hope it does what all the blueprints say it's gonna do. Right. You hit the button, and then you wait, and uh, the fact that people understand what's going on is like enough for me really like, mind-blowing and and yes because <laughs> yeah, we were like oh, are people just like gonna have no idea what's going on like if they were confused you know two hours of content just goes out the window 
that was like the first hill we were like, okay, people actually understand what's going on. The story makes sense for people. And then the fact that they like the music and they like the characters and like the show overall, that was just kind of gravy. So I, I do feel like we've earned the right to be cavalier, at least about the fact that it, it was functional. <laughs> sure. We went through a lot of prototypes with how to do it. I mean, we, you know, we did spend like a year and a half of trying different ways to tell this story or find, trying different ways to, you know, carry listeners along this journey were, you know, a lot of our prototypes just like glitched out and like ran into walls. And we were like, why isn't this working? So... There were a lot of prototypes that ended up being collateral in the, in the in the show process. What were some of those like? It was a lot of like letting go of typical musical theater tropes and also podcast tropes. So like things that are usually givens, uh, like a narrator, um, a chorus, you know, really full orchestrated sound, that kind of a thing that is present in a lot of musicals and present in podcasts as well in terms of like a narrator. And so those were things that we realized as we were writing the show, um, like we couldn't find a real justification for the narrator. We were like, who is this person? Why are they here? Why are they like eavesdropping on these two people who are trying to fix their marriage? And with the chorus, you know, we were like also had trouble like really justifying them in this space of the world. And that's where like our background in making albums came in handy because we were like, oh, we could just have these two characters be their own chorus. Like this isn't done live. Like what are these parameters that were given that we can actually use to our advantage? And that was like a big discovery of like, oh, this is like a musical theater show slash album story. So we can really use all of the strengths that we discovered through making albums. Um, and a lot of that was like vocal layering and simple orchestrations. Yeah, well, and it, it's just shockingly visual for mm-hmm. being audio. Like the sound design was great and it really set the scene, but the story itself has a ton of expressiveness that really anchored the scenes. Was that a focus when you were writing it, anchoring these scenes in sort of a visual spatial context like that? I think at one point, Ellen and I actually started drawing the space. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, okay, here's a, this is where the table is. This is where the door is. And we were like, oh, this is why we're not visual artists. Right. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> the answer is, yeah, we, we were very cognizant of what the listener's experience was going to be and trying to paint a picture of what these people are doing without going so far as painting something that people just wish that they were seeing. And also just from kind of like a top-down story perspective, we were constantly looking for ways to bring these people to different locations, interesting locations, so that it didn't feel like we were kind of where, you know, like you can only get so much fun out of being in a house that is falling apart. Like there's only so many things that can fall down. And so the whole show couldn't take place in that house we had to find ways to kind of get them out and moving while still having these questions being answered so yes we were we were really cognizant of that stuff that was another revelation of like oh if this is a podcast like what are some things that are impossible to do on stage for a musical Mm. and it's like can't have a duck you can't like wander out in a rainstorm and then get in a car and drive somewhere what are all of these things that can be like yummy ear candy And, you know, fun challenges for our sound designer, Joel Rabe, too. It was like, oftentimes when we were writing scenes, we're like, this is maybe an impossible sound that we're asking for, but let's see what Joel does. (laughs) (laughs) And he did it. Yep. Yeah, I mean, that's a very good point. You guys have 
transcended a lot of what could be done with even even film in terms of I mean because because it would be so complicated people would shut it down <laughs> of like you can't have this house that's collapsing and you can't have this dynamic singing in rainy conditions that are going to screw up people's lungs <laughs> yeah because you're not seeing it your brain's not going this is impossible or you're not trying to like look for like logical faults in it you're just kind of like absorbed in the magic of it in a way that you are absorbed in the magic of I think of an album or something you just let go and that's mm-hmm. uh, what we wanted people to do where did the duck come from uh <laughs> <laughs> I think the duck came from one of those conversations of like you know we were we were in the house we were in act one we were figuring all of this out we were learning a lot about these characters the good answer is that we really wanted to have an opportunity for the audience to hear Jace be like a kind human, like basically hear his like caring and giving and loving side in juxtaposition with like how off-putting he was being with Judith. Cause we were like, Jace is not, he's like, he's not a bad dude. And he's like, really, he, he was just coming across as like very angry for like most of the first act. And so like Henry was a great way to like kind of soften that. The like stupid answer is that, you know, when we were working on it, we were just like, what are some things that you could never have on a stage? And like, what if he had a pet duck? (laughs) What if he just like had a duck that he rescued? And also like, that would be ridiculous in your headphones to have just like a duck quacking randomly. And we're like, that's so stupid that it might work. And then we were like, oh, now we can't live without Henry. We need him in everything. (laughs) Every scene. (laughs) Uh, that said, I would I would love to see a stage production that attempts to bring the, the duck on the stage. Because would it be an onstage puppet? Would it be a person in a blackout suit with this like impressionistic duck thing? You know, I'm imagining it kind of like Warhorse. You know, like really like a large duck that's operated by like five different people. I love that. <laughs> Spare no expense. Yeah. <laughs> this relationship in Thirty Six Questions is very complicated and hit some substantial problems what kind of real relationship issues were you able to draw from to create this more sensational identity loss storyline that's an interesting question yeah i don't think that we and ellen correct me if i'm wrong i don't think we were ever coming at it from neither of us have had the experience of of like openly lying to someone i think obviously we all have our Billy Joel-esque faces that we put on, you know, we're all the stranger, right? We all, like, we all understand that idea. And you are a different person at home than you are at work and all that kind of stuff. Like, we understood that. But I don't think we came from it from a perspective of actually knowing what it's like to be either deceived or the deceiver in a, in a relationship like this. So that was something that we kind of just had to guess at and hope that we were being emotionally honest about it. But in terms of, like these being um, true characters, that was basically where we started the show. The the beginning of the writing process, even when we didn't quite know what the plot plot was, it was generating songs at a piano and not knowing what those songs were going to be about, just knowing that we were going to have music. And then really sitting down and being like, who are these two people and how can they be really fully realized people and be just different enough that they'll always have something to argue about but similar enough that we can believe that they would be in love. And so a huge part of that, you know, a lot of credit goes to Kelly Teeger, who is our, our story consultant, who's in charge of making sure that those characters that we fully realize stay realized throughout the process. Yeah, and I mean, I would just also like bouncing off of that, would just say that 
while neither of us have been in a in an extreme relationship situation as like Jason Judith, I think what we really identified with was that stranger-esque element of it of like when you meet somebody and you like them, you put your best foot forward. And like, when's like the first time you fart in front of them? But like, you know, it's like, when is the moment that they see you as a human? What's the moment where they see your flaw and say like, oh, that's okay. And kind of teasing that out with Judith, where it's like, she was constantly being the best version of herself. But in her mind, she was actually slowly becoming that person and still felt like she was a real human being like I have no doubts that she was farting in front of Jace and he totally still loved her um, you know like that's not that shouldn't be a thing that whatever but like <laughs> um, but I think it's that idea of like you you want to be like the best version of yourself with the person that makes you want to be the better person and so I think that was like a really yummy thing that we latched on to and in terms of like Jace's perspective it's like in a way it kind of feels like being cuckolded I think when you find out that you've been betrayed, it's almost like she's seeing someone else and the other person is herself. She's been keeping this person from him for two years. It's coming from kind of a similar place of like finding out someone is cheating on you or finding out someone is seeing someone else behind your back. Mm. Yeah. What was the process like for directing your actors in this? Lovely. It was short. We had a, a really brief production window to rehearse and record everything. Was 13 days overall. Luckily, we were gifted with two very incredible actors, very talented people who were not afraid to collaborate with us, not afraid to challenge us. We're open to changes. We're open to changes on the fly and really loved each other. And I yeah. still do love each other. And so that was just kind of like... Wait, wait, wait. Are they are they a couple? Are they good friends? Or they just met, and they, they but they happen to love each other now? Or what? What? Well, well, I don't want to spread any rumors. They they are they love each other as actors and as people, and, and we love them. They got along very well. Yeah, no, I mean, it was funny when we cast it because both of our actors are queer, and then they were playing, like, a heterosexual couple, which was, like, something that we, like, talked about a lot and joked about. But it's amazing because, like, their friendship and their connection, it's so real, like, in the room, and they're both such, like, generous actors who are so present in these characters, and you, like fall in love with them just like listening to the story you know in this story I feel like we're pushing gender norms too even in this like hetero relationship but directing them was like truly a dream and they were so smart and so transparent with us throughout the whole process about moments that were working and that weren't and and even the music too was very collaborative as well. The series has been getting a lot of attention. What's been the biggest surprise since the release of 36 Questions? Lynn? Lynn, Lynn? yeah. <laughs> Tweeting about it was insane. <laughs> That's Lin-Manuel Miranda, the guy who made Hamilton. No big deal. I think that in musical theater, all of us are just kind of praying at the altar of Lynn and just hoping to be in Lynn's good graces. So <laughs> the fact that he, he listened to it and... Um, was talking about it was just kind of surreal to both of us. Yeah. I bet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> since all these articles were like, move over, Hamilton. 36 questions is here. And we're like, what, is, like, what are you talking about? Move over, Hamilton. Like, yeah. <laughs> what a saucy title you thought up. Congratulations. I know. It's dumb, but it's like, that. yeah, Hamilton's a pillar of musical theater. It's not moving anywhere, and nor should yeah. it. Yeah, please don't move it. We need that pillar. <laughs> <laughs> there, so... 
happy to sit on top of it like a cute little hat. But um... yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> I don't think we can go back again. I think it's now a whole different ball game for all of us. And uh, yeah. we, we should definitely say that everyone in Chamber Band touched this project in, yes. in some way or other. It was very collaborative. Everybody was brought in in a similar capacity than they would be on an album. So that was lovely to continue working with the band in that way. And like, I think a great source of comfort for me and Ellen. Um, yeah, it's definitely a family affair. Our band is such our family and like very much a touchstone of making sure things are, you know, tracking. And a lot of them don't come from a musical theater background. And so much of what we wanted to do in 36 Questions was like appeal to as many different people as possible who have a lot of different music aesthetics. Yeah. So having our, um, our three other bandmates present for the process it was really instrumental in that, no pun intended. Oh, pun totally intended. <laughs> what are you talking about? Okay, pun intended, pun intended. I take it back, I take it back, pun intended. Before we take things over to Governor Square discussion, I feel compelled by necessity to let you know that this show and all the shows on the Nerdy Show Network are entirely listener supported. If you enjoy our talk programming, if you enjoy our role-playing audio dramas or our scripted audio dramas, then please consider supporting us over on Patreon. Even a dollar a month makes a world of difference and gets you early released episodes from all across the network. At higher tiers, we've got a ton of bonus perks, including outtakes, behind-the-scenes content, and ways to hang out with the cast and crew of all the shows on the network. Just head to patreon.com slash nerdyshow. If you can't subscribe but want to give us some one-time love, that's easy. Just go to nerdyshow.com slash support and kick us a one-time donation. You'll also get a slew of bonus perks and a shout-out on the show. You can go to nerdyshow.com slash Amazon to shop through our Amazon links. Everything you purchase through our links gives back to the Nerdy Show Network. Or if you want to do something that involves no money whatsoever, then please rate and review us on iTunes. The more ratings we get, the more reviews we get, the more aware the world is of the quality podcasting that we're providing. And hey, why do it on iTunes when you could also do it on Podchaser? Podchaser is a new platform which we hope to be the iTunes killer because this platform is made specifically for podcast discovery. It's extremely easy to leave ratings and reviews. And it's not just about rating and reviewing series, it's about rating and reviewing specific episodes and tagging things. So when people search for, you know, let's say Chamber Band, they can search for Chamber Band and find every podcast Chamber Band has ever been mentioned or interviewed in. It's community-driven, and we think it's the way of the future. So that's podchaser.com. Before we carry on, let's cut to a track. In this case, a brand new one, never before heard by ears in public. It's called Rigid Math. And Chris and Ellen, what kind of insights can you share about this particular track? I feel like it's like seeing the time traveler before he takes that first trip. This is the moment of bearing witness to the man before he makes his discovery of how to do it and seeing how it's slowly, how he's unraveling at the seams. When it was written. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. 
We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It was maybe even less like knowing that exact point in time in the narrative. Right. It's really just about being a kid and kind of bearing witness to your parents being troubled by something that you're helpless to solve with them. You know, you're just kind of there and seeing the stress of it and trying to be there for them and trying to help and just kind of being helpless. My father rang for me when he was feeling low. A wash of light obsessing in its glow. I played my part and gave him faith in his own path. But saw the hell that reeks this world of rigid math. And at the time, couldn't hope to understand. What consumed my old man? I watched the flick of the plume. In his hand As he pursued Some master plan As he pursued Some master plan As he pursued Some kind of Ancient cheat Unifying
Governor Square, the new record, you'd actually mentioned the theme of doing an H.G. Wells record back when we spoke last in 2015. Um, And it was just it was just a nugget of an idea of like, I think maybe we're going to do H.G. Wells. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) I wonder if we were being cheeky and we'd written a song already or. And usually how it starts is it's usually like one song. It's like, oh, this is kind of yeah. interesting. This is an interesting world that we want to play in. And then, I, yeah, I guess we eventually got, how many songs are there? There's 11 songs. Mm. We got there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a different beast. Like Ellen said earlier, it is definitely more melancholy. It's definitely uh, more intimate than our other pieces. It's darker. It's the darker timeline, I feel like. <laughs> we also like were really interested in building this, the world of music within this album. I mean, there's a number of tracks on the album that are strictly instrumental, which was something that we'd never done before. That was really exciting for us as a band to play around with because Chris and I are so like meticulous about lyrics and really, really like writing lyrics. And so it was a nice moment for us to step back and be like, oh, this song actually doesn't need any words like this. This needs to just live as it is, you know, like we, I'm sure like there were a couple versions that like we tried to write words for and it was like, nope, this is, this is terrible. Let's just let this live. <laughs> let's just let this, let's, let's let this musical moment happen. This is our first time really talking about this album. Oh, so really? Gonna, yeah. It's going to be so raw. It's, it's going to be very raw and um, word vomity in like a, <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> but real, you know. <laughs> it's a very different record. The other records have had moments that rocked. There's nothing mm-hmm. that rocks on Governor's Square, which isn't to say that it doesn't rock, but <laughs> <laughs> cool, cool, cool. <laughs> but you're not exactly going to like dance at a rock show to these tracks. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we feel like we have enough of that right now. We have a lot of rock songs. And yeah, I think it really came down to like the material and feeling like, how do we do this material justice? It does come from like a place of, I guess there's no other word but melancholy. It's like, it's, it is such an intimate album i'm having a panic attack here but deities is like about relationships you know and it's kind of done in like a cheeky way it never really i think dives too deep into like the mental anguish of the relationships and careers is kind of about you know capitalism and and work and collaboration and feeling like being left behind by your peers or like ahead of your peer and that kind of stuff but it, it, it was always like a little aloof i think there's always been an aloofness that has come with it. And when you're aloof like that, you can make rock music. And right. we're listening to these songs. These songs are like a gut punch and they, and they yeah. still feel like a gut punch to us. I think listening now after, you know, a year plus of recording them. And that's how I know that I think we made the right choice of not trying to inflate the songs in a way so that they were closer to the career sound or the deity sound. I think it's scary as a band to step out of your comfort zone and make what we made. So we're, we're just kind of anxiously hoping that our fans follow us on this little journey into the darkness. What was your experience with H.G. Wells' material before this project? I had read The Time Machine. I was actually in a production of The Time Machine as a kid. I was like in a, in a community theater production of The Time Machine when I was like eight years old or something. <laughs> Wait, who are you again? I was oh, Weena. <laughs> Right. I was the Eloy girl. Yeah. That's the part you were born to play. Just a cherub flower child right. rolls around <laughs> in the moss. Yeah, that's my Patronus. <laughs> but we were both familiar with the time machine. And then I read The Invisible Man, I think, when we decided that we were going to dive into the world of H.G. Wells. 
But like, Chris, I mean, do you want to speak to like what drew you to the time machine specifically, like where the first songs came from? Yeah, I mean, if I'm being completely transparent, I had an argument with my dad a little over two years ago, probably right before we had that interview. (laughs) (laughs) um, We were just like not seeing eye to eye, kind of just drudging up old bullshit. And there was this kind of sense of like, if I could go back and I could change what I said, I would but I can't go back. You know, it's like that kind of like that most basic feeling you have after you don't think before you speak. And I think that that feeling of wanting to go back is such a universal thing, which is why time travel is such like an alluring concept to so many people, I think, that it made total sense to, okay, well, I kind of remember what H.G. Wells' stuff is about. So as a band, we talked about it and then we dove into the book. And then it, it it really felt more real to me in reading it where I was like, oh, these a lot of these ideas here really are speaking to me in this moment of feeling disconnected from my family and feeling like I'm about to turn 30 and like my childhood is not even like just right behind me. Like it's now way far back and really feeling like, I, yeah, I just can't go back. I can't change things. So maybe I can write songs about it with the hope of moving forward. Kind of what the album is is touching on, one of the many themes it's touching on. Yeah. And then someone lent me a book of the time machine that also had the invisible man in it. And I read the invisible man after rereading the time machine. And I just felt this continued link, like a very strong link between those two stories. And like this idea of both the time machine and the invisible men are about people trying to use literally as much of their intelligence or like all, all of the tools at their disposal to try and change something that is common knowledge, like common knowledge that you can't go back in time, common knowledge that like you are a visible person, you like you are able to be seen. And like what happens when you lose control, both of these characters kind of give into hubris. And that was like really fascinating to me as like, we're always trying to like make new things. And like, whereas in our like digital age of technological evolution, like what's the bridge too far? The Invisible Man, like, even though he's kind of a jerk, was, like, a very tragic character. And I thought about all of the people who he must have been close with before he disappeared, if he was close with anyone. And I think that was, like, a moment of examining my own relationships, too, like, in in a more personal way of, like, what is it like when you're seeing someone and they literally disappear, like, dropping off the face of the earth and, you know two weeks before you hear from them again and, and kind of pulling pulling from that very, I think, real theme that a lot of people have experienced of someone drawing away due to depression or whatever and uh, kind of putting that through the lens of the invisible man. And I think it coincides with Time Machine in a really interesting way. And so it was nice to explore like the Ifing storyline in conjunction with the things we were working on that like Chris had started sketching. In terms of the structure of the record, I've listened to it a number of times. I've been trying to figure it out. It's so much more directly narrative than the prior records. And I'm like, is there a larger unified narrative between the two stories? Is it two suites, like two sides of an album that tell Mm. different experiences? Or are they just a collection of loosely inspired, seemingly connected, but ultimately unrelated songs? (laughs) (laughs) There it is. You can put that right on the back of the, the pull quote. Chris and I approached it as though like, we were in another timeline of Chris and I were siblings. We definitely have a sibling relationship. And so we were approaching it as though all of these songs take place in the same universe and are told from the perspective of these 
siblings of this brother and sister whose father is the time traveler. And in our minds, like the in Iping and before Iping, Mr. Marvel kind of thing was actually like the sister 10 years later. Or rather, if they are speaking to the past as adults, then this is like another area of her life where like someone has disappeared from her due to like hubris. So it's in the same universe and it's the same people that are telling all of these stories. And they've just had unfortunate run-ins with with science fiction-esque mad scientists. (laughs) I like that even better. (laughs) It's kind of like you said, like, yes to all. Yes, (laughs) all <laughs> yes <laughs> yes yes and yes <laughs> <laughs> that intimacy you keep mentioning it really really comes through in not just the performances and the songwriting but also the production where'd you guys make the record and who'd you make it with i definitely want to call out charles wanless who was the producer on this album and and got yeah. it from inception to the release he's a genius charles made it work on a shoestring budget with like a, a couple microphones and just like pure chutzpah. Am I doing that right, Ellen? Utzpah? Chutzpah. Chutzpah. Pure yeah. chutzpah. He had a lot of chutzpah. I would, I would say chutzpah is not a very pure thing. It's the grit. Chutzpah is like grit, spirit. Okay. It took a lot of chutzpah to do it. Yeah, 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 okay. Then I'll say that he is a genius and he really made this album come to life. It's like we're orchestrating, we're coming up with ideas. There's still a lot of songwriting happening when you're like actually recording the album and he is just a really valuable voice to have in the room during that time. Yeah. There's a couple pieces I, I, I would love to zero in on. Yeah. Beginning with Man at the Top of the Stairs, which you guys uh, co-wrote with Kelly Teeger. Kelly is my fiance and she actually co-wrote a song off of Careers as well called Old Enough. So she has always, you know, tossed lyrics out there and tossed songs up to us. Yeah. Uh, and she was also our story consultant on 36 Questions, too. Mm. So, like, we, we've been working with her for, I mean, obviously, Chris has been working with her for a while because they are engaged. Working with her. <laughs> wink, wink. You know what I mean? Working with her, yeah. You consenting adults. She brought, she brought us, uh, like, the first draft of this song, right, Chris? Yes. She brought us, like, the first few lyrics i think and the melody yeah and kind of developed it with her and a shared google doc of lyric ideas <laughs> it is kind of a fascinating song looking back on it because it's almost like one long quote it has like the first few lines which kind of set up what is happening and then almost the entire rest of the song is the mother talking to the kid and you know kelly has kind of gone on about what the song is about about and i don't want to like yeah. I think in the in the narrative of the album, coming from the perspective of the two kids, this is one of the songs where it's like, this is after their father has gone on this journey for the first time, and his concept of time is breaking. And what it feels like to me in the context of the sibling's narrative is like reflecting back on if this man can time travel, like perhaps he went back to a time before he discovered how to time travel. And so they really don't know who this person is who's showing up from the attic. And, uh, you know, due to paradoxes, their mother is obviously like, don't, don't engage, don't engage with this person. Yeah, there's like a sense of otherness now to the father. I like the idea of a paradox. That's, that's exciting. (laughs) (laughs) When you're playing with time travel, when you're playing with science fiction, it's like a million reasons. A million reasons why someone can be not themselves or 
different from before. I love that it's kind of left obscured by the song. You don't know whether to trust the mother. You know, it's possible that the mother is just saying that as some sort of weird part of the, their dynamic. But uh, yeah, something sinister going on for sure. Throughout the record, there's the Chris heavy vocals and the Ellen heavy vocals. And that does seem to correlate with who is speaking. But with this track, I noted that the the vocals were pretty even keel between mm. the two of you. So that makes sense that it's from both siblings' perspectives simultaneously, which I hadn't really anticipated for some reason. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's also something that like Chris and I going into this album, we were like, wanted to be really specific about what songs were going to be driven by Chris, which songs were going to be driven by myself. And then when we sang together, we wanted to be in like in unison or like in very tight harmony. And we wanted it to feel like it was a unified front of two people that were telling a story together rather than like one person's story and another person supporting it. Yeah. You know, we tried to be conscious of the song's that we sing together for the entire set of lyrics, if that makes sense. Mm. And there's several sequences throughout the record that seem to take place in chronological order, but then having this one following the Iping sequence mm-hmm. was interesting because it's like, from, based on what you just said, dialing back the perspective to the characters as children. Yeah. So what were your thoughts when you were sequencing how the tracks were going to be in the album? I feel like, you know, looking at it now, if I'm looking at this sister's journey throughout the album narratively. I think that in Iping for her is a, is a moment of disappointment of feeling like she has lost any semblance of who the man she loved is. And that would definitely spur the recollection of a time when someone who seemed familiar was also a stranger to her and would inspire that moment of reflection with her brother of like the last time she remembered that like looming dark feeling of someone unfamiliar and yet familiar becoming a dangerous person, someone she trusted becoming a dangerous person. That's interesting. I never yeah. thought about that. I never thought about it either until now. But that's <laughs> like, that's like something I'm like, Oh wow. That's like, huh? <laughs> yeah. It's weird. I mean, the last song is the last song for obvious reasons. Cause it just, you know, bums everybody out. But like <laughs> after, after the Iping songs, there's these two, they're both written in someone in the present talking about the past yeah. as opposed to kind of being in the moment. So yeah, it totally makes sense to me that after this kind of journey in the first half of the male character kind of dealing with his father's issues and then, and then the, the sister dealing with the invisible man that they both have these kind of moments of reflection where they look back with like a different perspective on their parents having been informed by the experience. That's interesting. I guess we're geniuses. <laughs> well, there's much to be said about running off of intuition. So <laughs> that's it. And that, that is, I mean, like really the simple answer is that ever since the beginning of chamber band, Anthony has been all about like, it's the music guys. Like people don't listen to the lyrics. I don't listen to the lyrics. <laughs> like yeah. it doesn't really like. Anthony does not know the lyrics that happen in our songs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And like, there are a lot of people that listen to Chamberman and do listen to the lyrics. And like, obviously we are so grateful for them, but there's a huge chunk of people that don't. And like, when you put an album on, are you like actively listening to every lyric of every song and trying to follow a story every single time? No, like you're, you're listening to a musical experience. Right. You kind of have to put your music foot forward. You know, this is something we kind of discovered on careers. Even when you do have this kind of best laid plan of a narrative that you want to tell, if the musicality doesn't 
help that, then you have to put the musicality first. You have to tell a musical story and then you kind of have to look back on it like we are right now and say, oh, is this the story that it is telling? Oh, that does make sense. In, in a way, it is just kind of lucky that it makes sense in that way. I want to thank Chris and Ellen for being on the show. It is always awesome to catch up with them. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> and after this crazy year, I cannot wait to see what happens next. It is a big question that we have as a band as to like, you know, and we have this new album coming out and then it's kind of like, well, what now? How do we move forward? And we're looking at doing more narrative stuff. Um, we're looking at doing other strictly music stuff. But mm-hmm. uh, at this point in time, we, re- yeah, we really don't know. We don't know, <laughs> I guess, whatever inspiration takes us. Yeah. But don't touch that dial because if you're a chamber band fan, we've got something rare and just a little bit exclusive for you to hear. Before we do that, I want to thank everybody who sent us well wishes during the hurricane with most of our operation predominantly based out of Orlando, Florida. It really means a lot to know you're thinking of us. We really don't know what the electricity situation is going to be like. In theory, next episode is probably going to come out on time and will be myself and the rest of the gang talking about whatever the latest is in uh, nerd news and pop culture. And if you haven't caught wind of it yet, we are hard at work on the second series of our RPG audio drama, The Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program. You can catch our first Cthulhu Mystery series over at CthulhuMystery.com. So now, I am very excited to debut another chamber band song, or kind of debut. It has a very interesting history. There were two tracks cut from their last record, Careers. Careers was kickstarted, and there was a mysterious tier at $40 for a, quote, dangerous item. Eventually, backers were sent a letter. The letter said, After roughly a year of head-scratching, the band finally decided what it is we have in our possession that is so dangerous it meets the requirements. These are low-key two of our favorite songs we've ever tracked. We only cut them from careers because there was just no place for them to sit that didn't muck up the flow of the album as a whole. We were hoping someday to release them and give them their time to be appreciated, yada yada, but that wouldn't be dangerous, would it? It's far more dangerous for us to say, we'll never release these tracks, ever, and put their fate entirely in your hands. If the world is going to hear these tunes, it really comes down to one of you deciding to download them. Otherwise, they'll be lost forever to time. Is that dangerous enough for you? It sure feels dangerous to us. So there were only 13 backers at that $40 tier. And those 13 people were given links to where they could download the tracks Peacekeeper and Disappear. Months passed, but eventually one of these 13 people reached out to us, Nerdy Show. And with that backer's approval, and the band's approval, we played Peacekeeper in Nerdy Show episode 275, which I'll link to on this episode's page. As far as we know, the first time that track was ever publicly shared. And then we played both of those tracks in regular rotation on Nerdy.fm, our streaming nerd music service. Last month, we shut down Nerdy FM. However, starting next month in October, our station manager, Mark with a C, is doing what he always did on that station, but in podcast form. Mark's making a monthly show where he DJs new nerd music in all genres, as well as rarities and classics, where perhaps you might hear these chamber band songs again. But for now, Disappear, again, as far as I know, still hasn't been played anywhere publicly, and now seems like the opportune time especially because it's a jam, and on the admittedly quite melancholic Governor's Square, there is no such jam to be found. So if you've listened to Governor's Square and you're looking for an energetic antidote to all those big feels, well, this should do the trick. 
Governor Square comes out September 18th. You can pre-order it now and get three tracks immediately. Or hey, maybe you're listening to this and it's already out, so just go get it. We'll have links on this episode's page. Now I'm happy to present Disappear, and uh, I'll see you next time. Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.